All right. Well, good morning, everybody. That's a good one. Uh, my name is Pastor David. I'm excited to be speaking with you guys. Uh, I just kept thinking about when you were talking about offering there, Pastor Susie. Um, I don't remember when this was taught to me, but I just think of the analogy that people will oftentimes at home, if they don't have the capability or the finances or resources to handle like pest control on their own, oftentimes if people have like raccoon problems, they'll make like DIY traps, like humane traps, but DIY traps. And all you need is like a little bit of like peanut butter or a treat and you put it in like a bucket or something and then you create a hole that's just big enough for their hand to get through. But once they grab that treat and try to come back out and they have that balled up fist with the treat in their hand, they can't get it out. And they're so greedy and they want it so badly that they will not let go. So they'll trap themselves just by that. And then you can kind of come and handle it or have them flee or whatever. But the point of that is they won't experience freedom until they actually let go. And I think when things are tight, as Susie's saying, and it's really not just our finances, it is things like our time, our resources, how we can spread ourselves thin. The tighter that we hold on to, the less and less that we have a chance to actually experience that freedom. Does that make sense? Okay. I just wanted to get that out there. But good morning, everybody. Uh, I usually start with talking about something about the Packers, but uh, this is a transition season. We're not worried about it. We're not going to even watch them right now. They're terrible. I'm so happy that Aaron Rodgers is gone, truthfully, but we're really bad right now. <laughs> so we're not even going to talk about them. We're going to move on, and I have a lot to talk about this morning. Um, Pastor Jay had talked about for actually two weeks straight uh, the power of the blood of Jesus. And he actually asked me this week when he found out I was speaking, if I wanted to continue talking about that. And I said, that's extremely intimidating, Pastor Jay. I don't know if I can do it justice. And you've covered a lot. So that is not what I'm talking about this week, but they were very good. Uh, <laughs> they were very good subjects. And I encourage you guys to listen to them. But today we are talking about, uh, my title is Something Real. Everybody say something real something real, because if there's anything that I've noticed in recent weeks, it's that people, including people in the church, but also people that don't know God, they are looking for something real, something tangible right now in the moment. All the solutions and everything that's available for us and all of the different, as Pastor Susie was saying, all the different voices coming our way are filled with things that we can entertain but it just never quite feels real to people, I feel like. That's kind of what I'm getting from the majority of conversations I've been having from people lately, and they're searching for something real. There's gotta be something more that they're not experiencing, okay? So that's the premise of today's message. But as always, whenever I prepare a message here for Chapel Valley, I always start out the same way. I always start praying and I ask God, what is it that you want us to know? That is my number one question that I always start with. And sometimes he'll answer and other times he won't. But this time, God told me that he wants his people to be a people that are about what he's about. God wants his people to be a people that are about what he's about. And this makes sense. And it becomes even more clear when we look at Jesus, because how often have you guys heard that the ultimate goal here at church is to be more like Christ, right? That's a pretty common goal or a pretty common strategy that we're encouraged to be honed in on. So when you see that God wants us to be a people that are about what he's about, 
it lines up with being like Christ because obviously Christ was about what God was about when he was here on earth. And this starts even before he started his earthly ministry, before he was the man of Jesus that I often think of. Even when he was little, we can see this taking place. And we're going to look at that right now. Starting in Luke 2, uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 41. I'll give you a second to turn there if you have your Bibles, but it will be up on the screen. But we're going to be going through this for a little bit. So Luke 2, 41 through 50. Okay, this is looking at Christ or Jesus when he was uh, younger. So it says this. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, just 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph, his mother, did not know it. Now, we live in 2023 and... Uh, I've seen like six-year-olds with cell phones at this point in time in life. And so I hear these stories about families going on road trips and they like abandon their kid at a gas station because they didn't realize they were in the car or whatever and then take off and don't realize it till later down the road. I feel like this can't happen nowadays. But think about this. Back in those days, they most definitely didn't have cell phones or anything. Jesus' parents left and they noticed all of a sudden he wasn't with them. Picking up in verse 44, but supposing him to have been in company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. However, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. For, verse 46, now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. I don't have any kids, but I would imagine that you're like the opposite of calm when your child is missing, right? So I'm imagining that they're pretty stressed out and it even says that they sought him anxiously. And Jesus's response to them in verse 49 says this, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And then picking up at verse 50, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So this tells us that even at a young age, before Jesus starts what's referred to as his earthly ministry, he was about his father's business. He was about what God was about. Does that make sense? So we can see he didn't just decide one day to be about what God was about. He was about what God was about from the very beginning. And we are to be the same. It says just in the very next verse, though, verse 51, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So this kind of was interesting to me because we can look at many facets of our life and say, I want to be like Christ. I want to be what God is about, right? But there's so much about God and the way that he structures his creation, in my opinion, that it can be overwhelming and it can feel like we're missing things. But when you're operating out of your identity in Christ, it's almost like automatic. And we see that in Jesus in this instance. We see that when he left and all of a sudden they're like, where are you? And they're panicking and they find him. His response to them isn't like, oh, I'm so sorry. I ran off. I saw a toy and I wanted to play with it. He was like, don't you understand? I'm supposed to be about my father's business. So it was a response of, I don't know why you're so anxious. You should know that I'm about like what God is about. But in the same token, right after that, in the very next verse, verse 51, it says that he then went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. 
So even as a child, he understood that he's supposed to be in line with his parents. Do you, you guys see that, right? So there's kind of this um, likeness or DNA of God's creation and the way that he wants things to operate that's happening automatically while Jesus is also trying to be about what God is about. With me? Cool? Makes sense? But I love that it actually states that this is happening and that as Jesus obeys or operates out of his identity, we see what God is doing in him. Verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. It's almost like a status report, right? Like when you do something and it shows you your progress. I play like a ton, a ton of video games. And typically in video games, the more that you play, the more like rewards you'll get for your character, the stronger you'll get, the faster you'll get, those kind of things. And it gives you these points that you can kind of level up with. And we see that's almost stated in the Bible with people as they are walking in line with God. So it says that in verse 52 and then verse 40, before we read this whole thing, before Jesus ran off, before Jesus was lost, before he was found teaching and asking questions, it says in verse 40, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. So we see almost like these checkpoints where things are happening in Christ or in Jesus as he is operating in his identity that God has given him. And the only reason I bring that up is that as we live our lives, hopefully, people aren't writing books about everything that we're doing, right? In every moment of our lives. But as you guys are walking with God and those small testimonies that you're sharing with your friends and your family, just notice those are kind of these checkpoints in your walk with God where you're increasing in stature and wisdom and in favor with God and men. And I don't think that's like an over um, bragging kind of thing to say. I think that you are operating similar to Christ and therefore you are experiencing the same thing that he's experiencing. Cool with me? It's something real. It's something that's happening. So we're going to go on here. But if Jesus was uh, about what God was about and we are to be like Jesus, then we are also supposed to be a people that are about what God is about. And I believe what God is about is his redemption plan for humanity. I will not be able to cover that today in its entirety, but the question is, for his redemption plan for humanity, Jesus's role was to come to earth to be the perfect sacrifice, and then he put to death like sin and death, and then he was risen again to become a triumphant king, right? That was Jesus's role. We can't do that. So even though we're supposed to be like Jesus, what is our role in God's redemption plan? What is our role in God's redemption plan? My old answer was this, and I have a slide for it that's going to come up. My old answer was our role in God's redemption plan for humanity was our love for one another and our obedience to him. Okay. And I base that off the fact that Jesus told his disciples that people would know that they are followers of Christ based on their love for one another. Okay. He straight up told them that, that we would be observed and then the result would be kind of taken note of by people, oh, those are followers of Christ because they're love for one another. My new answer is this. Our role in Jesus's or in God's redemption plan for humanity is sharing his love with others and our obedience to him. So what's the difference? One is our love for one another. One is sharing his love with others. Because I think sharing love with one another, or our love for one another is going to happen automatically as a byproduct of walking with God. But sharing his love with others 
is something that has to automatic or not that's not going to happen automatically it's something that is actually going to take willingness consciousness and effort on our part and so we have many opportunities to do that which we'll get into but there is that difference there pastor jay spoke this last week he said god's not looking for people to reach out until they first reach up okay now, the reason that that's important is when we think, okay, we got to go share Christ's love with people and then we have to obey God. I don't know about you guys, but for me, I think, okay, I'm just going to go talk to people, tell them that Jesus loves them, and then try my best to live a life that is glorifying God, right? But nowhere in that process, for whatever reason in my mind, does that include actually spending time with the Father and learning his love for me. Nowhere in that process. It's all head knowledge. It's all maybe bringing the Bible to others. It's maybe even praying for them. It's maybe even doing things that I feel like God is asking me to do. But nowhere in the process is there actual uh, time thought out to me where I actually have to spend time with the Father by myself intimately with him. And it's important because how can we share his love for others if we don't know it for ourselves? Does that make sense? And so don't think, you know, I, I see people in this room and I've heard testimonies and I'm obviously, I'm not going to single anybody out. I've never asked permission, but I've heard your guys' stories about how you'll go to people and you'll, you'll pray with them and you'll share God's love and everything like that. And just think about this. That's amazing, but how potent it will be if right before you do that, you're spending time with the Lord because now you know his love so deeply and personally and intimately, and now you're bringing that experience to somebody else rather than something that maybe you did like a week ago or something. That's kind of how I think about God's love. And so it does require us to spend time with him. So practically speaking, how can we share his love with others? If we've spent time with him and we're actually understanding what his love is and we want to share that with people, how can we practically share that with others? My answer is this. It's number one, preaching the gospel. And number two, interceding for others that are around us. These two things cannot happen if we don't understand his love for us first. John 15, verse 4 through 11 says this. Very, 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 very popular passage of scripture. But I will give you guys a second to turn there. If you have your Bibles, it's John 15, verses 4 through 11. And it says this. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This is Jesus actually speaking and talk, talking about abiding in him, okay? Goes on, verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The first time that I ever read that, I felt like it was very brutal. I felt like I was reading the word. I didn't yet really have a true understanding of my relationship with God, but I understood that he was asking me to serve in some capacity of ministry. And when I read this, it was like, okay, God, I'm going to go serve for you, right? I'm going to go to the church and whatever. At that time, I was probably stacking chairs or something like that, setting up for events. I don't know, but I'm going to go and do this for you. And then I read this verse and it's like, you can do nothing without me. And for some reason in my head, that was brutal. That was kind of like, a, you're not good enough to do anything without me, right? You need me by your side. But reading it now and having the understanding is more like what Pastor Jay was saying. We can't be people that reach out and share his love for others until we are first residing in him or abiding in him. Does that make sense? Apart from him, we can do nothing. When we're 
spending time in our marketplace or with our friends or on, on, on the field or whatever it might be, and we're trying to pray for one another and we're sharing his love and everything, it can kind of feel like we're operating on fumes, right? Like we don't have a full tank of gas to go or anything because we aren't always spending time with him. That's an assumption I'm making. I'm sure you guys are better than I am. But I'm just saying, if we look at this verse, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Picking up in verse six, it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. I'm going to pause there right at verse seven and I'm going to read it again quick. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. The trap that we can oftentimes fall into, or at least I can fall into, is when we're asked to go share God's love for others, or even, as we talked about, preach the gospel and intercede for others, pray for them. The trap you can fall into is, I don't know what I'm going to say when I get there. I don't feel qualified enough to talk to this person in ministry or um, that God's asking me to do. What if they have questions? What if they ask this? What if they... What if I pray for them and it doesn't work or something like that? That's a trap that we can fall into. But reading this, we're encouraged by Jesus. In fact, we're promised by Jesus that if we not only abide in him, but also abide in his word, anything that we ask shall be done for us. Which means when we're in those situations or when we're about to go into those situations, if you are prayed up and you've spent time in his word, you are now positioned correctly to hear from God and therefore you can ask, God, I'm going into a situation that I don't feel confident in. I need you to give me the answers and the utterance. I need your Holy Spirit to guide my words in this situation so that it will be glorifying to you. Does that make sense? We're not out on an island. We don't, I don't want you guys to think that you would come to church and you hear from your pastor that we're asking you to go talk to people and pray with people just without any tools or equipment. It says in his word right here that if you abide in him, anything you ask shall be done for you. And so the encouragement and the source is straight from him. It's, he's quite literally divine. <laughs> and so it goes on in verse eight. It says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So there again, a promise that you will bear fruit if this is done. Verse nine, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So right there, this really, this entire passage is kind of summed up very easily for us to understand. If we feel like you don't, or if you feel like you don't understand God's love and therefore can't bring it to others, the answer is really abiding in him and abiding in his word. You will start there. And I guarantee you that's like, a surefire way to experience his love. Abiding in Jesus and his word is a guaranteed way to know his love for us and others. And then we are positioned to ask him for the proper equipping to share it with others. I don't know about you guys, but I don't ask enough from God. And that's not a humble brag, as they like to say. That's me admitting that when I do ask for things from God, it's really kind of like small petty things as a wish list and not enough equipping for me to go do what he's asking me to do. Do you see the difference there? It's kind of filled with what my flesh wants rather than what my spirit feels like it's not equipped to do. You see the divide? 
I'll oftentimes ask for things like better sleep or more finances or things that I feel like will gratify my flesh so that I am then alleviated to go do what God's asking me to do. Rather than putting all of that aside, just trusting that he's going to provide for me and then asking, okay, God, this is what you're asking me to be about. And I feel like I'm not equipped for it. I'm asking for boldness. I'm asking for wisdom. I'm asking for favor in this situation and then stepping out in confidence that he'll do that. You see the difference there? And by the way, yes, if God is a provider, if you feel like you need help in a certain situation, still pray for him and bring your requests. But I'm trying to put into perspective the ways that I pray and the ways that I feel like he's asking me now to shift to pray. All right. When we spend time in, uh, or I'm sorry, when we spend time with him and experience his love, we not only understand his love better, but then we can ask God to actually help us reach others through that happening. And as great as this is, I believe that part of our requests to God need to actually include asking him to be put in opportunities to share his love with others. I think we can come to church very often, feel encouraged. We can talk about things happening like, I almost said Christmas in the park, talk about things happening like the Christmas tree giveaway or these different situations like laundry love. We can talk about all these situations where ministry and sharing God's love can happen. But then oftentimes we pray about those events and then we go to them and we expect them to happen without actually asking just straight up, God, I ask that you would have somebody come to me with a request or a situation where they need to experience your presence. And I pray that you would be with me in that moment so they can encounter you. You see that, that actual practical request of having an interaction with somebody that needs him. I think that needs to be included in our prayer lists from now on, or at least mine. Maybe I'm just speaking, maybe this is all just stuff that was downloaded specifically for me, but I felt I was supposed to share it with you guys. Praying that he would have divine interactions happen is a part of our responsibility as prayer warriors. Cool. So I feel like we're oftentimes afraid to talk about the kingdom of God with people because it's something that is supernatural, right? Can we all agree that, that the kingdom of God is supernatural? It's real. We experience it here on earth, but it's not natural in any way. It's foreign. It's strange. It's something that can't be understood right away, I guess, for lack of a better term. But the kingdom of God is something that I think is supernatural that we don't know how to explain to somebody in a context that is only natural. So it can be an intimidating thing to bring to others. But I don't think it needs to be intimidating because when we look at Jesus, he spoke to people primarily in his teachings when he always had like a gathered uh, large audience. He primarily spoke about the kingdom of God. He primarily brought parables to them. And what's funny about the word parables is when I hear it, I think it's like a riddle almost or something that's difficult to understand. When I look at the Bible, it's kind of the opposite of that because when Jesus was bringing parables about the kingdom of God to large audiences, they were parables that were relevant to the culture that he was in. They were relevant to the people that he was speaking to. They were spoken in a way that people that had ears to hear would relate to it. That's why when we come to church and you'll oftentimes see these like big churches with popular sermon clips and stuff like that, that have all these like quick witted analogies and tweetable quotes and all that stuff. There's a reason why that's considered something that people gravitate towards or that they enjoy because it's relevant to people. 
and it's said in a way where they can understand. They're using analogies with smartphones and technology and things that we understand today. And it's the same way that Jesus spoke to people back then. Jesus had a parable of the lost sheep speaking to people that were familiar with shepherd duties. He had a parable of the sowers speaking to a large audience who understood what I fail to understand, which is conditions that are required for a seed to grow into a healthy state of crop. He had a parable of the mustard seed, again, to a crowd of people that are familiar with this kind of seed. He had parables of treasures, parables of workers in the fields, parables of a fig tree, parables of a wedding banquet, all teachings that the people that were listening could actually understand what he was comparing the kingdom of God to. And so when we go out and we feel like we need to describe the kingdom of God to people that have not yet experienced what it's like here on earth to have that here, it can be intimidating. I don't know how to describe the kingdom of God, the supernatural thing, but be encouraged that if you are in a position, again, spending time with him, you will understand, understand his love to share his love and then you can make those requests. God, I pray that you would actually be equipping me that in this moment when a person is coming and I'm asked to explain your love to them, explain the kingdom of God to them, that you would give me the utterance and you would give me those kind of examples that will make sense to them in a way where they were understand it, in a way that's relevant to them. Does that make sense? So if we are to live like Christ, it should be an, a no-brainer that in situations where we're asked to teach like him to others, that God is going to provide for us in the same way that Jesus had. He'll provide us with those kind of relevant examples. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you guys that God is just going to give you structures to create sermons and have these analogies. I'm talking about those organic, genuine moments with your friends where you're trying to explain what God is doing in your life and they have questions about who God is even is and you have that quick example of what God's love is like that is relevant for today and relevant to them in a way that they can understand. It's not you speaking to them. It is God giving you the utterance for that person. And so be encouraged in that. He's going to give us a language that is specifically for those uh, who it is for. I have two stories here, but I don't have enough time to share both of them. So I'll just share the last one which is when I was uh, freshly out of the internship that I did here at Chapel Valley, which is designed specifically, it's an intense discipleship is the easiest way, I guess, to put it. I'm sure it's not nearly as intense as the disciples experienced, <laughs> but it did require a lot <laughs> of sacrifice. And so it was a time where we were equipped. It was a time where we learned a lot and uh, I was freshly out of it, right? I freshly graduated out of it and I felt like I needed to be doing more because I was no longer in this um, program where things were set up for us, quite frankly. There was like workshops and conventions and conferences that we were allowed to go to. And now it was on me to continue my learning, right? If I wanted to do those things, I had to choose to go do it. So I heard about one in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and I went there. And on the way, I heard nothing but how amazing this preacher was going to be and how smart he was, how on fire for the Lord he was. And my expectations were so high. And he's talked, I think he spoke for about 45 minutes. And I promise you that about 99% of what he said, I just disagreed with. I don't think it was wrong. <laughs> I think I just personally was like, no, I don't like the way you said that. No, that's not right. Why would you say it that way? People didn't receive that part, right? What are you talking about? I felt so like it was not for me. But 
out of the 45 minutes that he spoke, I did get like one thing. And the thing about it is I've heard so many sermons that I thought were amazing that I, to this day, can't really even tell you like, yeah, I just remember it was really good. I can't even tell you what they're about. But this sermon that I didn't like at all for 45 minutes said one thing that I carry with me today. And I think there's a reason is because I feel like God gave him everything that he needed to be speaking in that moment for those people. And I was included in those people. I'm sure 99% of it was relevant to others and it was actually what they needed to hear. I don't think he said anything blasphemous. blasphemous. It just wasn't for me in the moment. But the one thing that he said, because you're all like, okay, what did he say? Was that he would be talking to people that are scared to pray for people for healing, right? He'll talk to, he referred to them as baby Christians very bluntly. And he was like, people will talk to me and they're scared to pray for people for healing. And they're always like, ah, but what if I pray? What if I pray for them and nothing happens? And his response is, yeah, but what if you pray for them and it works? And I was like, I was like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, I get emotional because I'm not just thinking about like small healings. I'm not thinking about small healings. I'm thinking about <clears throat> those moments that we're talking about where there's people that need to know him. There's people that need to know him that don't yet know him. And uh, <clears throat> it's like Pastor Susie always says, we're not here to just play church. Um, and there are people's lives actually at stake. Gosh, I feel like the rest of my notes are irrelevant at this point. Um <clears throat> I get emotional because I think about my personal experiences Thanks. Um, personal experiences with people that don't yet know him or didn't have time. that are gone now. And uh, I'm not the savior. That's not my job. So anytime that I feel that kind of guilt or weight of thinking about people that have 
an eternity in hell rather than could have had a life here on earth in abundance. Um, it's not me that put them there. And so I don't need to have that kind of weight or guilt. So if you have those moments, please know that it's not from God. He doesn't give us that kind of guilt or condemnation. Um, but I do think of the more things that I could have said in that moment. Um, the more equipping that I could have had from God. So anyway, um, yeah, I just, there, there are specific moments of people that I know didn't know him that had questions about him that came to me knowing I wasn't even a pastor at the time, but knowing I was in a relationship with Jesus and uh, had questions. And in the moment I was like, I, you know, I would just change the subject or something because I felt awkward explaining it. And then, uh, you know, those same people, one of them took their own life and one of them had their life taken from them. <sighs> so those are situations that happened to me within the course of maybe a month from when I felt like I could have had that divine interaction with them and be equipped. And so, sorry, it takes me so long to get through that story, but it's important to realize, like, what's at stake. I'm not guilting anybody. I'm not saying you guys should feel bad and you should be like, you know, if you're going through emotions, it just came for a feel-good message on a Sunday and then you go about your day, like, I'm sorry to, like, have that train wreck in the middle of it to kind of, like, change perspective on things. But it just goes to show when we have these moments like Christmas in the Christmas tree giveaway, coming up and uh, laundry love and all these things, even if you are listening to this today for the first time, sorry that I'm like bawling on the microphone, but even if this is like something where you are in a brand new relationship with Christ and you're like, I don't know what to say, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that you feel like something may be real with God and so that you actually spend the time to wrestle with that. I'll talk with youth, youth all the time. They're like, yeah, I prayed for God to speak to me. And I sat in my room and I listened with no distractions for 10 minutes and nothing happened. I'm like, that's good. That's awkward. That's hard. It's hard to be standing in that moment, ask God to speak to you and hear nothing. But those are the moments that you need to stay in. You need to wrestle with that because he's going to speak to you. and You just don't know how to hear it, right? It drives me crazy. I'll spend times with my dad. And we'll be like, we'll walk into a grocery store or something that has some old security set up and they'll have some old like chonky TV up there and those old CRT TVs when they're on, they let off this really high pitch like beep, ringing noise and it drives my ears crazy and I'll walk in with my dad and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. He's like, what? I don't hear anything. And I'm like, yeah, that's because your, your hearing is shot. Like it's just gone. You need hearing aids, Dad. Sorry. He's probably, he probably can't hear me, so it doesn't matter. But if you don't have the ears to hear, or if you're not used to hearing his voice, 
you won't be able to pick up on those subtleties that other people seem to like, how do you hear from God? How do you hear his voice? The only difference is they've spent time with the Lord enough where they're familiar with how his voice sounds. And so if you're like, I've never heard him speak and I, I've spent a lot of time with him. I don't know what the deal is. Spend more time with him. It's not going to hurt anything. And going back to my wrap up point, when I was talking about physical healing, right? The guy in Stephen's point was saying, yeah, sure. You can think what happens if I pray for somebody for healing and nothing happens. First of all, I've been there. It's not that bad. And second of all, sure. What if nothing happens? But on the contrary, what if something does happen? Because that's way more important. Whether it's a headache or a terminal illness, not praying for somebody is going to leave them in the exact same situation that they're in or worse. And so praying for them, if it does, quote unquote, nothing, at the very least, you're trying to bring God to them. And I think God is going to honor that in one way or another. If healing doesn't manifest itself, I believe God is there present in that moment. And that may be something that they've never had happen. Does that make sense? So you might as well pray for them. You don't have to worry about if they get healed or not. That's God's problem, not your problem. Your problem is having the faith that it can happen. And if you don't have the faith that it can happen or if you're nervous about it, then I would encourage you to spend time with the Lord more. Because once you've spent so much time with him that it's so real to you, in those moments, you're just bringing a fact. You're not even bringing a hope or a faith in that point. You're bringing a fact. Like, I know God and he's a healer and he's here. So let's do this. It's a fact in that moment. So hesitating to allow God to move is the worst thing that you can do for your own faith. Now, as I was saying, I already went ahead with this, but we have a lot of opportunities here at Chapel Valley to serve. And I think we're just in this time, as I mentioned at the very beginning of my message, where people are looking for something real and tangible. I hope the youth doesn't mind me saying this because it might not actually be true, but I do want to share my observation of things. I'm the youth pastor here at Chapel Valley, if you didn't know. And uh, there's, there's a lot of youth right now in Gen Z that want to know that there's got to be more to life than what they're currently experiencing, right? And the youth know that. It's not exactly easy to talk to your friends about God and everything like that, but I'll give them credit for one specific thing that I feel like I think I did once in my life, which is they will invite their friends to come to church. My observation, however, excuse me, is that they are much more comfortable inviting their friends to morning service church than they are youth group. And I was like, why is that? Whether that's true or not, it might not be true. They might be like, what the heck are you talking about? We invite them to both. That's fine. My observation is that, right? So I sat some time trying to figure out why is that? And I truthfully think it's because they see the amount of people that come here with an expectancy that God is real, that God is moving. When they come here on a Sunday morning, they see things like the start of service happening being worship. People are worshiping the Lord. They see somebody up here giving offering and communion and praying and teaching out of the Bible, right? Not that that doesn't happen at youth group, but it happens on a very small scale and it's not as easy to observe. And so inviting your friends into that is much easier, I feel like, than something that feels quote unquote awkward. But the point of it is we're in a time where the youth that are under peer pressure and hormones changing and this crazy wild world where they're under a magnifying glass at all times are comfortable 
inviting their friends into the presence of God. And I feel like for the majority of us in this room that are mature adults, we can do the same. Does that make sense? There's plenty of opportunities here. Um, like I said, Christmas and Christmas tree giveaway is coming up. We need a lot of help. It's not that there's nothing prepared or anything, but as somebody who's involved in the planning of it, I just see all of the places where people can be serving. And I'm expecting a lot of people to show up because of what we've been talking about. We're in a time where they're, they're going to see, sure, free tree giveaway or whatever and just pull up and get a tree. But there's so many people that come to these events. And based off the people I've talked to that have served at these events, they come and they have like legitimate needs and questions about God. And you get to be a part of that. And so if that's something that you feel like, I don't even know where to start, but I feel like God's asking me to serve more or in ministry, please come talk to Abigail in the front or me. It doesn't matter. But we have a meeting coming up on November 17th that we're going to be pushing more and more and more. It is on a Friday. It's going to be here. I think it's really good. But there's so many areas other than this event. This is not just an event plug. We have things going on in our kids church ministry that we can use more volunteers with. We have laundry love. We have so many different ways that I feel like God is moving in those areas. And we're in a position right now where because of the manpower, it can be very easy to have our flesh get in the way and be tired and actually miss the opportunities of what God wants to be doing there. And to alleviate that, I think having more of us come together that are believing what God is doing truthfully is the answer. So I would encourage you, if you're interested, please come. I would say serving anywhere, come talk to Pastor Susie and I'll be there to facilitate, but she's better at that stuff than I am and getting you in the right spot. So um, that's all I have for the majority of my message, but we do need to transition. I don't want you guys to, you know, I feel like a teacher that's like, the bell doesn't dismiss you, I do. So it's like, <laughs> even though it's not really a bell, it is uh, almost, it is 1130. Um, but we are going to transition, and I don't really want us to leave this moment, truthfully. And so we're going to transition into a time of communion. I'm going to have the worship team come up, um, or I guess Micah and Zach uh, are going to come up. And then we're going to transition into communion. And just as we spoke at the beginning, um, we were talking about offering. We were talking about ways to give. Uh, there's so many. There's so many ways that I feel like when we come to church, we're asking people to give more, more of themselves, whether it's their time, their efforts, their resources, whatever it is. And it can sound like if you're in a relationship with God, all you do is give. But the truth of it is, in everything that God is asking you to do, he's right there in the midst of you alongside doing it with you. When you're giving something to the Lord of your time or your money or your resources, he's in that moment and he's glorified in it. And he is, like we were talking about checkpoints and Jesus's moments in the Bible, you are increasing in stature and wisdom and favor with God in those moments. And so as we transition into communion, realize you're not only spending time with him, but this is a time where truthfully, we are straight up just receiving from God. We're not giving anything in that moment other than our attention and our worship to him. And so this is a time where we get to spend more with God. If you're in a, in a, in a place where you listen to this message and you're like, I, I don't know if I can share God's love with others because what are the requirements apparently is spending time with him and I don't know how to spend time with him. This is a moment to do that right now. Even if you're listening online, I believe you can partake in communion. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Kelsey up. Um, she's going to lead us in a time of communion while the worship team uh, plays. But if you guys could just, yeah, 
be prepared to receive.